We are in this series called In the Beginning. In the Beginning. All right? And I don't, you know, if that trailer music was epic, I'm sure In the Beginning was even more epicer, if that's even a word, right? So it's, just, it's, it's epic. In the Beginning isn't just a phrase to describe the creation. Right, because when we think about the in the beginning, we think about the creation, but it really is not. It's not, it's more than that. See, it's the origin of how we are here today. Okay, it's the origin of how we are here today. It's the story of how Jesus of the New Testament is the answer to the curse in the Genesis of the Old Testament. How Jesus is the answer to the Old Testament, because in the beginning was messy. I mean, it was messy. It wasn't nice. See, Genesis is full of family drama, okay, uh, deceit, lying, murder, envy, jealousy, incest, competition, and that is literally just hitting the tip of the iceberg here. It's more, I mean, there's, it's messy. And there's as much as we want to, all right, as much as we want to cover all of that topic, uh, we don't have time on Sunday mornings. So I encourage you, if you have not yet explored Genesis, um, grab a bag of popcorn because it is popcorn worthy. All right? So grab a bag of popcorn and start reading this week. All right? And you'll see just how amazing it is and how you're just going to start grabbing the popcorn. Like, what? This is amazing. Right? So, so grab a full of popcorn and um, start reading. And if you have not yet listened to the previous messages, I encourage you. Go to the info.bar, and you'll see all of our previous four, past, past four weeks of in the beginning. So here we are, all right? Here we are. Up until now, right, we've covered the creation with Adam and Eve, okay? And then we covered Noah and the flood, okay? And then Abraham, last week, Pastor Matt, ended with Isaac. Ended with Isaac. Now, we're going to be talking about Jacob. I love Jacob. All right? If your name is Jacob, I love you. All right? But it's, I love Jacob. All right? And we're going to explore his story today. And Pastor Matt briefly touched upon just uh, who Jacob was last week. Okay? So let's do a little refresher from last week. Jacob is the younger twin of uh, Isaac and Rebekah. Okay? Younger twin of Isaac and Rebekah. The older twin, Esau, he was hairy. All right? And on top of that, he was hairy, right? And then he was also an outdoors man. He loved hunting. He, he was very rugged, right? If you think about a mountain man, that's what he looked like. All right? And Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. Kind of talking about favoritism here, right? Matt, Pastor Matt kind of touched upon the last week too. All right? And Jacob was the very opposite. He was not hairy. All right? And he was, uh, he was an indoors guy. He was, an, he was a homeboy. He was a homebody. He loved the couch, right? And just to kind of, you know, work around the house and, and uh, help Rebecca. And so guess what? Consequently, Rebecca loved Jacob more than Esau. Again, just favoritism of the family, right? And back in chapter 25, God actually tells Rebecca that the older son will serve the younger son. Okay, and so Rebecca, what does she do? She schemes and to deceive her own husband into blessing the younger son. Now, one could argue that, you know, sure, Rebecca was motivated by this time, because after hearing that, of course you're motivated, right, and, 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 and to deceive her husband. But no matter how you look at it, you know, Rebecca really took this, in, you know, in, into her own hands and just kind of did it her own way instead of waiting for God. But what is important here is that God did include this trickery, this favoritism in families, right? Talking and taking matter into their own hands, selfish ambition, parental manipulation, right? And siblings to rivalry and hatred in his book so that we won't repeat those. 
Hey, he did put it in here so that we won't repeat those. Now, some of, I hear some of you guys laughing because we've done it before, right? I, I've done it with even my three-year-old. Like, I've probably manipulated him of, you know, not eating a cookie, right? It's just, we've done it. And so this is where we left, left up last week. God's redemption plan, right? God's redemption plan is not derailed by man's dysfunction, right? God's redemptive plan is not derailed by man's dysfunction. Because, I mean, this is one messed up family, as you will see, right? Not just their family, but the extended family as well, all right? So this is messed up family. But even through this dysfunctional family, God would still fulfill his promise. Even through this dysfunctional family, God would still fulfill his promise. His promise of salvation, his own son, Jesus. See, since the beginning, since sin entered the world, God's unchanging plan was to redeem his people. That was his plan. So one thing that we have to keep in mind as we dive into the scriptures today is that God's covenant with Abraham hasn't changed, and it hasn't changed through Isaac, and it will not change through Jacob. It is constant. Here's the bottom line for today that I want everyone to hear. Uh, to, if there's anything that you don't get out of, you know, one thing that you get out of sermon is I want you to get this. God meets us where we are in order to bring us where he wants us. God meets us where we are in order to bring us where he wants us. So let's read together, right? Because we're going to go through a lot of scripture. So if you have your phones or if you you know, like to do that, if you have your personal Bible and whatnot, just kind of uh, we're going to go back and forth here. Okay, let's read Genesis 28, 1 through 2. All right, so Isaac called for Jacob blessed him and said, you must not marry one of these Canaanite women. Instead, go at once to Padanaram, to the house of your grandfather Bethuel, and marry one of your uncle Laban's daughters. May God Almighty bless you and give you many children, and may your descendants multiply and become many nations. May God pass on to you and your descendants the blessing he promised to Abraham. May you own this land where you are now living as a foreigner, for God gave this land to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away. And he went to Pevan Aram to stay with his uncle Laban, his mother's brother, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean. Wait, did we just read that right? Shouldn't uh, Isaac be scolding Jacob at this moment? Right? Shouldn't Isaac be scolding Jacob at this moment for deceiving him? Right? Because he just deceived of, of Isaac to get that blessing. Yeah. He blessed him. He blessed Jacob. And he had two choices. I mean, Isaac had two choices. He could either bless him or curse him. But he chose to bless him. Why? Why? Because our human nature would be like, uh, Jacob, you are the worst. I love you as a son, but I, no, you're not, you will not have my blessing, right? But why did Isaac bless him? Because Isaac knew that God's plans were better than his. Because Isaac knew that God's plans were better than his. And because he knew that, he even gave Jacob an extra blessing on top of the blessing, right? Parents, let me speak to you for a moment, all right? Let me speak to you for a moment. Uh, who has children in their teens, all right, who are in their college years, all right, who are in their post-college years, all right, and young adults? All right, let me speak to you for a moment here because uh, this, is, this, is, this hits my heart. See, I've been in student ministry for about uh, 12 years now. All right, in student ministry for 12 years now. And one thing that is consistent and very constant in children, no matter how good your child is, they will disappoint you. 
Amen? Right? No matter how good your child is, they will disappoint you. I mean, that is very constant throughout all humanity. Not just, you know, not just here, but all humanity. Right? And if this is new to you, then uh, I need to talk to you because I want to know your secret. Okay? <laughs> if this is new to you, I want to talk to you. Your children will deceive you. They will lie. Okay? They will cheat. I'm sorry, that's the truth, right? And they will make mistakes that you don't want them to make the mistakes. Right? They will act out. They will give you a hard time. Okay? They will. They will give you a hard time. And Jesus won't always be their first priority. I know. I know. But Jesus won't always be their first priority. And here's what's even harder, okay? Just bear with me as you hear the next part. You might even get a drunk text or drunk call. Yeesh. You might even have to bail them out of jail. You might even become an unplanned grandparent before, uh, sooner than you expected. Why do I say this? I don't say that to scare you, but I say this because in the 12 years of ministry, I've, I've seen this. The, even the most good kids out there have gone through this. We're not immune to it. But no matter what the situation is, you actually have two choices. You can either bless them or you can curse them. That's it. That's the two choices that you have. You can either say, woe is me, and why, God, why this, and all that. Or you can say, God, your plans are greater than my plans. Our human nature is to be all woe is me, right? That's our human nature. But parents, we're called to bless our children, to love them, to pray for them. Remember this bottom line, right? God meets us where we are in order to bring us where he wants us. We have to trust and believe that God will meet your children right right where they are so that he can bring them to where he wants them. It's not up to us where, where we think that God wants them to be. It is up to God where he wants them to be. We need to pray and bless our children in the midst of their mistakes because God knows what's best for them. Because God knows what's best for them. Because God's plans for their lives are better than your plans. I'm sorry, that's the truth. His plans are better. So pray for your children. Pray for your children until you sweat, right? Until you, until you develop callus on your knees. Pray for your children. That is your calling as your parents. And that's exactly what Isaac did. He blessed instead of cursing him. Let's skip on reading. Genesis 28, 10 through 15. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled towards Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and laid on to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached down from earth up to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving, you, I'm giving it to you and your descendants, and your descendants will be numerous as the dust of the earth. That's a lot, all right? So they will spread out in all directions, to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. And one day I will bring you back to this land, and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised. Let's skip down to verses, uh, verses 18 and 19. It says this. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. 
He took the stones he had rested his head against, and he set it upright as a, as a memorial pillar. And then he poured olive oil on it. He named that place Bethel, because it means, which means house of God, although it was place called, previous called Luz. See, this journey was not an easy one for Jacob, right? This journey was not an easy one for Jacob. He was traveling to Haran uh, to, to find himself a wife. Okay, that's always a hard journey, isn't it, right? I mean, right, so it's, it's, he was traveling here to find himself a wife. Not only that, he was fleeing from who? His angry brother Esau who vowed to kill him, all right? And on top of that, was Jacob a homebody? Yeah, he loved his couch, all right? And he was traveling by himself, first time ever in his life. That's crazy. He was on his own. And it was a three-day journey to Bethel, if you do the geographical kind of distance here. In three days, can you imagine the immense pressure? Like the questions that are swirling around his head, like, what if I don't find a wife? What if they don't like me? Right? And the fear, like every rustle and brustle, like every sound, there was probably a, a, a fear-gripping moment for him because it could have been Esau coming out of the bushes to kill him, right? Or the unknown, first time leaving home. Not knowing the survival skills because he was a couch boy, right? What if bandits came in to rob him? Like, what if an animal decided that it was hungry? Right? All these questions are swirling around in his head. But even in this pressure and fear and the unknown, see, God would meet Jacob right there. God reminds Jacob of who God is. God reminds Jacob that he is Lord of the Father, his father and his grandfather. See, God reminds Jacob... The covenant that he made with Abraham. And not only that, God actually gives him an additional promise. Go to verse 15. It says, what's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. And what was Jacob's response to that? The next morning Jacob got up, got up very early. He took the stones and had rested on his head against. And he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he put, poured olive oil on it. His response in the midst of his fear and unknown, his response was worship. His response was worship. Because despite what was going to happen, he knew that God's promise will not fail him. Because despite what was going on, Jacob dedicated himself to God and claimed the promise that God had made to him. Again, God meets us where we are in order to bring us where he wants us. God met Jacob right in the middle of his fear, right in the middle of the unknown, because he wanted Jacob to, to dedicate himself to God and claim that promise. See, God meets you right here, right now, in good or bad, or hard or easy, to bring us to a place of surrender and us holding on to his promise so that our lives may reflect on his goodness and his faithfulness. So Jacob finally reaches Haran. Right? It's, this is a 500-mile uh, journey. And back in the day, you know, if you look in the ancient history, they didn't really have camels, all right? if, especially in the Abram's time. Um, it's, so he probably walked or I don't know what he did. He, I don't know, teleported. I have no idea, right? So he, it was 500 miles to Haran. It takes about two weeks all right, to, to complete that journey. And at Haran, he was determined to find his wife. <laughs> and I love this next part, all right? Just, 
laugh with me here because it makes me feel better. All right, so let's just paraphrase what happens next, okay? The first woman, as he reaches Haran, he sees is Rachel, right? That's the first woman that he sees. As soon as Jacob sees Rachel, he kisses her and he cries. You think I'm joking? Look, look. I'm not joking. Like Genesis 29, 11. If you want to go look in your Bibles, please do so. It says, then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he wept aloud. Not just cried. Not just cried. He wept aloud after kissing her. And then in 29, 12, he explains who he is, right? He explained to Rachel that he was her cousin and her father's side and the son of her aunt, Rebecca. So Rachel quickly ran and told her father Laban, right? I mean, shouldn't the order be the other way around? Right? Verse 12 should come before verse 11, right? Here's who I am. I'm going to kiss you, right? I mean, I, I mean, obviously, that's still too fast, but still, right? It should be the other way around, all right? So, and, and if you're wondering, uh, on a side note, uh, like, cousin, really? Well, it was a pretty, it was a common ancient world practice back then, all right? It was, it was very common in the ancient world. And there's no record of a detailed conversation of between, uh, other than the kiss and the weeping and, and, and the explanation of who he is, right? But I would not be surprised if uh, Jacob went up to Rachel and said, hi, my name's Jacob and I love you. I would not be surprised, okay? I mean, bold move, Jacob. I mean, that is a bold move. Talk about love at first sight. And let me talk to all the wives here at first, okay? Do you remember the first time you met your husband? Yeah, yeah, okay. What would your reaction be, okay, if, if your husband, first time ever meeting him, came up to you and kissed you and wept aloud? I mean, come on. You would be like, um, excuse me, I'm going to run this way now, you creep, right? So, I mean, that's, that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and uh, to all the single men here, it comes with a strong suggestion, all right, that you don't pull a Jacob. All right, just, just getting that out there. You just don't pull a Jacob, all right? So what happens next? Jacob meets the rest of his family, right? Uncle Laban welcomes him with open arms, which is great after that he kissed his daughter. Like, yeah, that's, that's okay. All right, so after catching up with the family, Jacob is, was going to do anything and everything to marry Rachel because he was in love with her. Oh, right? So read Genesis 29, 18. It says this. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. I don't know if you read that correctly, but seven years, people. Right? Seven years. He was willing to work seven years for his wife. That's a long time. Let's keep on reading, all right? Genesis 29, 19 through 30. This is where it gets like super dramatic and oh my gosh, it's amazing. All right, let's read it. Agreed, Laban said. I'd rather give her to you than anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but only a few days. Aw, aw. I mean, that's all awesome. All right. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now I give my wife, now give me my wife so I can sleep with her, right? I can, I can imagine, like, seven years, guys, come on, right? Give me my wife! Like, he, I'm sure he was very, like, strong forth with that, all right? So Laban invited everyone to neighborhood, all right, and prepared wedding feast. But la- that night, when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob, and he slept with her. <gasps> what? Right? Laban had given Leah's servant, Zilpha, to be her maid. But when Jacob woke up in the morning, guess who he saw? 
Not Rachel, I can tell you that much, right? He saw Leah, right? When I, he saw Leah. What have you done with me? Jacob raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Laban says, it's not our custom to marry off a younger daughter ahead of the firstborn. Laban replied, but wait until the bridal week is over. Then we'll give you Rachel too, provided you promise to work another seven years for me. <laughs> what? Come on, man, right? So Jacob agreed. Come on, Jacob. Haven't you learned your lesson yet? He's going to deceive you, okay? So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. A week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him to Rachel too. Two weddings in one week. That's a lot, all right? If you have two daughters, that's like in, with back to back. That's, guys, that's a lot, all right? So Laban gave Rachel as a servant, Billah, to be her maid. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban for uh, another seven years. Ha, ha this is this right here. It's so much better than any other TV shows out there, right? You read this, and I'm telling you, that popcorn just goes into his mouth, and it's just like, what is happening? Let's just be entertained with me here for a little bit, okay? Can you imagine <laughs> being invited to this wedding and then finding out what Laban happened? I mean, this would be my face. What just happened, right? I mean, just it's crazy. And then he worked for 14 years for the love of his wife, a life. What? This dedication and perseverance. Uh, it's unmatched with any of I mean, come on, guys. Like, we would never work 14 years for, I mean, would we? I mean, I would. All right, I'm just saying. All right, so here we go. So there are many speculations, okay? There are many speculations to why, which, why Laban did what he did. I, my wife was watching on the babe. I would, I would work 21 years and 31 years for you. Okay, anyways, all right. So till death, I'll work for you. All right, so there are many speculations to which, why, okay, Laban did what he did, Okay. Sure, he does explain that the younger does not marry before the older. Maybe Laban secretly, you know, loved Rachel more than Leah. Kind of similar to uh, how favoritism in this family kind of is playing out, right? Isaac loved more than Esau, and Jacob loved, uh, and Rebecca loved Jacob more than Esau, right? And hint, hint, wink, wink, right? Jacob also has a favor, and we'll kind of touch up on that next week. Maybe Laban thought if Jacob spent a bridal week with Leah, he would eventually fall in love with Leah and would forget Rachel. Maybe. And if you're wondering, how could Jacob make this mistake? Right? I mean, how could, how could he make this mistake? Well, maybe Leah borrowed some of Rachel's clothes and learned her mannerism, right? And the wedding chamber was dark, and the Bible says it was dark, okay? Huh. Why does that sound familiar? Oh, that's right, because Jacob did the same thing to his father Isaac, right? Wore the clothes to imitate Esau's hair, right, and cooked Isaac's favorite stew. No matter how you put it, Jacob was actually deceived by Laban. Talk about dysfunction of this family. That's a lot of dysfunctions. But the dysfunction doesn't stop here. Yeah, there's more. Okay, and I don't have time to go into this, so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it here, Okay. The relations between Leah and Rachel in the marriage, uh, let's just say that it was a competition of who can have the most kids, okay? So that was a competition. So much so that in the competition, both Leah and Rachel were willing to give their servants, uh, Zilpha and Bila, to Jacob to be their surrogate mothers for them. So Jacob ended up having not just two wives, but four wives, all right? Again, this was common practice in the ancient world. 
Not only that, Rachel was, you know, when she wasn't bearing any child, Rachel was willing to buy mandrakes from Leah's son Reuben, what was known as, mandrakes was known as a love potion back in the day, right? It's, it's to become fertile, right? Was willing to buy that and to try it and to become fertile. I mean, the competition is real. It's fierce. And guess what the payment was? It wasn't money, okay? It wasn't money. The payment that Leah that Rachel would give to Leah is that Leah would have a night with Jacob. His own wives were using Jacob as a payment. Come on, guys. Like that's, that's crazy, right? But do you remember the promise of God? Do you remember the promise of God that God gave to Jacob in the low moment of his life in Bethel? Genesis 28, 13, 14. I am the Lord. The God of your grandfather, Abraham, and the God of your father, Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions, to the west, to the east, to the north and the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. Even through the deception and the dysfunction of this family. See, God was still working his redemptive plan. It through the dysfunction of this family, guess what? Twelve tribes of Israel was born. And through the line of Judah, guess who's born? Jesus the Messiah. God was still working his redemptive plan. And this is why I love the Old Testament, because we have to remember that everything in the Old Testament is pointing all towards Jesus. Everything is pointing towards Jesus, to the redemption plan that God had. Jacob ended up staying working for Laban for 20 years, way longer than he planned out. But we're about to see a prom, another promise, promise of God being unfolded in Jacob's life. Genesis 28, 15. What's more, I am with you and I will protect you wherever you go. One day, I will bring you back to this land. God was calling Jacob back home, back to Beersheba. Long story short, Jacob said to Laban, Hey, it's time for my family and I to leave your land. Uh, Laban said, no, I don't want you to go, all right? So Laban devises a deceitful plan to have him stay, all right? If you want to know more about what that plan was, just go read it, okay, because we don't have time today, all right? But what Laban didn't know was that Jacob was also devising a plan, all right, to deceive Laban to get away from his land, all right? Finally, Jacob flees from Laban with his family, and the Laban and Jacob, you know, at the end, end of the story, he, they actually make a truth and not to harm each other. And eventually, Laban and, and Jacob parts ways. Jacob's family parts ways. But Jacob had one more hurdle to get over, didn't he? By now, if you haven't guessed, who, who is it? Esau, right? He had one more hurdle to get over, Esau. The brother, the older brother who vowed to kill him. Who vowed to kill him for stealing that blessing. Let's read this together. G- Genesis 32, 1 through 5. As Jacob started on his way again, angels of God came to meet him. When Jacob saw them, he exclaimed, this is God's camp. So he named the place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers ahead to his brother, Esau, who was living in the region of Seir, in the land of Edom. It, it, before he went to Beersheba, he actually had to go through, this, go through his brother to get to the land that God was calling him back. He told them, give this message to my master Esau. Humble greetings from your servant Jacob. Until now, I have been living with Uncle Laban. And now I own cattle, donkeys, flock of sheep, and goats, and many servants, both men and women. I have sent these messengers to inform my Lord of my coming, hoping that you will be friendly to me. 
hoping that you'll be friendly to me. It's really easy to over, uh, skip over this part, the message that uh, Jacob sends to Esau. Let me break this down, okay? Jacob sends this message to his brother. It was a good idea. It's a good idea, right? I mean, if somebody's trying to kill you, it's a good idea to send the messenger first before you send yourself there, okay? So, it's a good idea. But then notice the language that Jacob uses here. Master Esau, your servant Jacob, my Lord, I have all this wealth. This was basically the term um, uh, sucking up to your older brother so he doesn't kill you. Okay? That's, that's what, what's happening here. None of this language portrays anything about trusting God's promise of him, God protecting Jacob. All right? So let's keep on reading. Genesis 20, uh, 32, uh, 6 through 8. After delivering the message, the messenger returned to Jacob and reported, We have met your brother Esau. Okay? And he's already on, uh, on his way to meet you. With an army of 400 men, okay? Jacob was terrified at the news. He divided his household along with flocks of herds and camels in two groups. He thought if Esau meets one group and attacks it, perhaps the other group can escape. I mean, I completely understand Jacob's fear here. Because if there was 400 army men coming towards me, I would be terrified, wouldn't you be? Right? So Jacob again devises his own plan instead of trusting the promise of protection that God gives him. Let's read what happens next. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father, grandfather Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, Lord, you told me, return to your own land, to your relatives, and you promised me, I will treat you kindly. I am not worthy of all this unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown me, your servant. When I left home and crossed the Jordan River, I owe nothing except a walking stick. Now my household filled with two large camps. O Lord, please rescue me from the hands of my brother Esau, I'm afraid that he is coming to attack me, along with my wives and children. But you promise me, and I will surely treat you kindly, and I will multiply your descendants until they become numerous as the sands along the seashores, too many to count. See, everything in Jacob's prayer indicates that he has a deep knowledge of who God is, right? Everything in his prayer has an, indicates that he, he understands God's character. But one thing that was lacking in his prayer was confidence in that knowledge. He had zero confidence in that knowledge. But because, and because Jacob lacked confidence, guess what? He let fear overcome his knowledge. Jacob proceeds to, with his own plan by separating his family and sending gifts to his brother Esau just to appease him more. See, we can have knowledge of God and his, his promises and his ways. But if we're not confident in his promises, our fears will overcome that knowledge anytime, any day. Warren Wiersbe, a teacher and a theologian, said this. While we don't want to imitate Jacob's fear and unbelief and scheming and his proneness to jump to conclusions, we should do well to pray the way he prayed. He claimed God's promises, remembered God's goodness, and rested completely on God's character and covenant. No matter what circumstances we may face or of what fears may grip our hearts, we can trust God to be faithful to his character and his word. I will trust and not be afraid. And that's the challenge for us, isn't it? I will trust and not be afraid. Because far too often, all of us here are, are trying to figure it out on our own rather than relying on God. And when we act out of fear, guess what? It, it leads to irrational decisions and, and thoughts, which comes consequence after that, rather than trusting in God's sovereignty. See, brothers and sisters, we have to be confident in God's promises. Even the times of unbelief, in the times of fear, in the times of the unknown, we are to trust God's faithfulness. Now we come to the famous part of the story of Jacob. Everybody should know this one. 
Genesis 32, 22 through 30. Let me read this for us quickly. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and two servant wives and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all of his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp, and a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of the socket. And the man said, Let's, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, because, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen the face, God face to face, yet my life has been spared. Just as God met Jacob through the dream in Bethel on his way to Haran 20 years ago, God again meets Jacob here. He again meets Jacob here. In, the, in his desperation, an attempt to try to appease his brother, working out of fear rather than faith, not knowing what was going to happen the next morning, God meets Jacob. Notice one thing here. Both times, Jacob was alone. Both times, Jacob was alone. Not surrounded by people. Not surrounded by influences. See, I'm a huge fan of solitude. I'm a huge fan. Here's why. When we're with people, right, in person or online or on social media, see, our hearts and our minds are easily manipulated and distracted by other people's lives and thoughts. Right? Right? But when we're alone, when we are alone, we're faced only with ourselves. We only have one audience. It's us and God. In our culture today, we're, we're so consumed with, with these loud noises and busy lives, right? And distractions of our in-person life and our online life, right? We don't know how to be silent. We don't know how to be still. But when we learn to be silent and still and let the distractions and, the, and, and, and the, all the noises are out of the way, we're able to hear God better. We are able to hear God better. See, God meets us where we are in order to bring us where he wants us. Even in our busy lives, he meets us. God meets you right here, right where you are. And if you look throughout the Bible, God met his people right where they were. Like just to give you a couple examples, God met Abraham as a traveler because Abraham was a pilgrim. Because God understood that he was a traveler. God met Joshua as a soldier because that's the language that Joshua understood. And for Jacob, God came as a wrestler. Why? Why? Because Jacob picked a fight with anybody he came in contact with in his life. His entire life was a fight. See, he fought with his brother Esau to get that blessing, to, to receive that birthright. He fought his father to receive that blessing, right? He fought with Laban in the marriage for Rachel, right? He fought with his wives. I mean, that's not uncommon, right? But he fought with his wives. He's four wives, not just two, but four. And most of the times, he actually won the fights. He got the birthright. He received the blessing. He got four wives out of Laban. And on top of that, just to say, Laban, I win, he bore 12 children. Like, that's winning. But in the midst of these fights that Jacob picked and chose... See, Jacob wasn't just fighting the men, but Jacob was ultimately fighting God. See, instead of surrendering his life, 
And trusting in the promise that God has promised him, he made his own plans and schemes in order to get what he wanted. And when God showed up that night to wrestle with Jacob, see, God was showing Jacob that the only way to victory is surrender. The only way to victory is surrender. See, Jacob needed to stop trusting in his own plans and schemes and trusting God's will for his life. This place of surrender is where God wanted Jacob. So how about you? Have you surrendered? Have you surrendered? Not just the 50% of you, not just the part of you, but have you surrendered 100% of who you are to God? Because guess what? 100% of times you try to fight with God, fight with God, you will lose 110% of the time. Does that make sense? You will lose 110% of the time. I can guarantee you that. Sure, you might get by just as Jacob did, right? Getting a little blessing here, getting a little blessing there. Sure. But there was a greater blessing that God was willing to give to Jacob, and yet the only way that Jacob was able to receive that was through surrender. To surrender everything to God. And let me be super honest with you here. If you don't surrender 100% of your life to God, guess what? You will never, ever experience the full blessing and the full potential of God's blessing in your life. You won't. Because he wants to give it to you, but you're like, but I like this better. He wants all of you. Especially for us here in the Lake Norman area. I'm going to just, uh, Norman area, I'm just going to pick on us because we live here. Yay. All right. So we are so content, aren't we? Life is good, kind of, you know, kind of on the lazy river boat thing, right? Little bump here, little bump there, right? Little quarrel with people who are bumping into you, right? But, but we're content. We're content. But do you know what contentment does? It pacifies us. It silences us. It numbs us. See, it silences our need for God. That's what contentment does. See, our souls are not meant to experience God just on a Sunday morning. That's not, that's not what our souls are meant to do. See, we're not meant to call on God as if it was a genie in a bottle. See, we are called to have an intimate and personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus. That is what our soul needs with our Creator day in and day out. Not just be content. To hold on to God as Jacob did. I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go until you bless me. When was the last time you actually had that struggling, fervent prayer that you forgot how long you've been praying? That crying out to God saying, Lord, I need you. When was the last time we actually repented of our sins? Not just saying, God, forgive me, but actually coming into his throne room and just seeing how unworthy we are in front of him who's so holy. And then our prayer turns into praise because while at the same time we feel so unworthy of who he is, that God calls us worthy because of his son, Jesus Christ. And we just sing out in songs of praise. When was the last time you actually had a personal time with God? That when you're reading his word, that you just could not let go because it's so much sweeter than honey. That you just let the time pass by as you read his word, as you read his love letter for you. 
I want all of us to experience the full potential of God's blessing. But he, we, he cannot bless us until we surrender everything that's in our lives. A hundred percent of it. I want to end this morning with this last thought. Let's read Genesis 32, 27, 28 again. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. There's a huge significance of God asking Jacob what his name is. You ready for this? Because this, every time I read this, it blows my mind away. This is why studying the scripture is so much fun. The last time Jacob was asked this question was when his, it was when his father Isaac asked him. Then do you remember what Jacob's answer was? I am Esau, your son. See, God was not, not asking Jacob to get more information about Jacob. See, this question was a redemption question for Jacob to answer right this time. To say, Jacob, that is my name. It's a redemptive question. See, in the Old Testament, this new name, having a new name that God gave you, it meant a significant, it meant a significant meaning. It meant a new creation. It meant a new beginning. So in verse 28, it says, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. No, you will no, no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel. It meant a new beginning. See, God was redeeming Jacob, who was a deceiver, who, who, who just picked a fight with everybody to be a new person. See, God made him a new person because, because Jacob surrendered. Because he surrendered. He was no longer known as a deceiver, right, that created a bunch of family drama and problems. But he would serve God and become the father who bore 12 sons of the tribe of Israel, which through the line of Judah, Jesus would be born. And a nation would be born along with it, the nation of Israel, just because he surrendered. And you want to know something else? Jacob surrender, you and I, we are the very product of that blessing and the promise that God is still unfolding to this day. What was God's redemption plan? For Jesus, God's only son, to die on the cross for all of the sins of humanity so that all may be saved. That was his redemptive plan. It is only through the salvation of Jesus that we are redeemed. Jesus was God's big plan, his great blessing, his great promise. See, we have to understand this. In the beginning, was, it's not just some cute Sunday school, uh, Sunday school stories. That's not what in the beginning is. See, in the beginning is not just some ancient history. In the beginning is a promise of something greater. In the beginning is God preparing a sacrifice of his own son so that we may be saved. That's the, in the beginning. So that we too would bear that new name and be a new creation in Christ Jesus. So, have you surrendered? Have you surrendered? If this is your first time ever re and listening to this word of God, and this is your first time ever listening to this redemption story of Jesus, I encourage you. I encourage you to give your life to Jesus today. 
on, in person or online, I encourage you to give your life to Jesus today. Because life with Jesus is so much better. And guess what? You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be like, let me clean up my act and then I can come to Jesus. No. God meets you right where you are, right here. And then he'll bring a redemptive work in you. And if this is your first, uh, if it's your second time or a hundred times or a million times ever hearing the story of Jesus, let's not be numb to it. Let's not say, I've heard this before. But let's come to a place where we say, okay, Lord, renew a heart in me to see that your salvation is so good. That your salvation is so good. So close our eyes together. I just want you, I just want to invite you this morning. If you have not received the Lord uh, Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to just pray a simple prayer saying, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I want you as my Savior. I need you. And if this is a hundredth time hearing this message, I want you to just rededicate your life and say, Lord. Let my life be a surrender. Let my life be, be pleasing to you. And to live a life that is completely to you. To be surrendered. Father, I want to thank you for this morning. God, I want to thank you for your message and thank you for your word. God, we thank you for that in the beginning. That even in the beginning that you were planning to save us. That even in the beginning, you had this great promise and great blessing waiting to give us. So God, let us surrender everything. Lord, let us not just be content in where we are. Let's not just be content. But God, help us to want more of who you are and to want and to desire you first and foremost in anything in life. So God, as we reflect upon this this week, God, convict us, Holy Spirit, convict us in our hearts to be more and more like you and to more, want more of you. God, we love you so much. We give you all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.